Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. I'll be reading the first 11 verses in the book of Acts as we get started started in our study of that book uh, this morning. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he had, through the Holy Spirit, given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, we are beginning a new series um, going through the Acts of the Apostles. Um, At this point, Lord willing, the... We're planning on this being a a year-long study, that at this point we have this scheduled out going all the way to family camp next year. And so we'll be spending a a, a good long look at what God did in the early church. And so it begins out with a very important part, um, talking about then, as we're talking about the unveiling of the mystery, that that Christ, or Christ, that God is about ready to speak through Luke, put into writing what he, his plan has been from eternity past. When we were looking at the book of Ephesus, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, we saw in chapter 2 and then in the chapter 3 that God was about to begin to do a marvelous thing or was doing a marvelous thing and that he had given revelation of it to the apostle Paul that now the Gentiles would become joint heirs with the Jews in this new thing called the church. That God had been working through the nation of Israel, but now he was setting aside the nation of Israel for a period of time, and redemption was going to come to the entirety of the world through Jesus Christ. Not that he was putting Israel aside forever, because that would go against his promises. But there was, he was opening up now the gospel to the, the Gentiles in that we were going to come now as one new man to the Father through Christ that the middle wall partition 
that divided us as Gentiles from, from God was now being abolished, done away with, and so that we as Gentiles would come together with the Jews to the Father. That brings us then to where we're going with the book of Acts. Because at the beginning of the book of Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts, that mystery was still a mystery. Does that make sense? So what we went through to the letter to the Ephesians, to the letter to the church of Ephesus, they didn't know. Paul hadn't written it yet. Paul hadn't been sharing that yet. Jesus has just left the earth. We're going to talk about that this morning. Literally, left the earth. Okay? And so, now they're about to, to experience what it's like for God to establish his church. I love this book from this perspective. The freshness of seeing allowing God to do his work, his way, in his timing, through his power. We've become so accustomed to us doing it in our timing, according to our prowess, according to our ways, according to our plans. But God had a mystery which he was going to unfold. God had a plan which he was going to work. And so I want to challenge you as we go through this to, again, not read in your own theologies, not read in whatever we've been taught, but let God teach what he's actually done. So in the beginning, before we get further into this, we need to talk about, since this is the, 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 the beginning of this, right? We need to talk about who's the author. So, you know, we're not reading Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the church, which is Ephesus. And so we're instantly told, right? This starts off with, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. The author is who? I. Therefore, the former account I made, right? So it's I. Well, now we have to figure out who I is. Now, you all know, again, because you're learned in this, right, that it's Luke. But how do we know that it's Luke? Again, we ought to know why we know that it's Luke, okay? So the first point of um, stuff that we know, okay, is that this individual... Oh, go backwards, Bob. Ah, messing up. Okay, that the former account I made, O Theophilus. So, so whoever stated this had already written a what? An, an account. And he wrote it to Theophilus. Well, we know that then from Luke chapter 1, okay? And so... In Luke, we're not told it's still Luke. Does that make sense? Because Luke doesn't stay there that he's, that's who it is. But we have it based upon tradition and based upon the, the, the early church. They knew who this was who wrote it. And they gave it um, as a record to who? To Luke. Okay? And so Luke writes this. He says that it seemed good to me also to write to you, excellent Theophilus. I'm going to go apart. I'm going to do a rabbit trail on my rabbit trail, if you would. Okay, and, and so, because I love the name Theophilus. Does anybody know what Theophilus means? Lover or friend of God, okay? From phileo, okay, and so brotherly love. So either lover or friend of God. And so there's a lot of debate whether Theophilus is a real individual or whether he just is symbolic of believers, but it always leads me to, and so I just want to stop and just share this real quick. It always leads me to ask, 
if somebody was going to name me a theological name, what would they name me? If they're going to name you with a theological name, what would they name you? Would they name you lover of God? Would someone just say to you, Theophilus? Or would they say, Sinfulus? You get what I'm saying? NFLphilus. NCAAphilus. Chocolatephilus. What, what would be the descriptor of my phyllis? Selfless. I mean, I know I'm not putting in the Greek terms for you, okay? But you get what we're going, right? Oh, that I would be known as a Theophilus. So Luke, okay, so he wrote that. But we also know then from the book of Acts, within the context of Acts, Acts 16, there is a place where Luke joins them. And we're given an, uh, this indications then within it. So in Acts 16, I have it up here. You can turn it if you want. But, but beginning of verse 6, we read, Now when they, note the pronouns, when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but, they, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So this is the journeys of Paul, which we'll get to when we get to that part, right? And so traveling through Asia Minor, the Holy Spirit is forbidding them to go to Bithynia and different places, but he allows them to go to Troas, okay? Then also, we get at verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately who? We, not they, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sealing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. So, where was Luke from? Come on, this is like an SAT test. <laughs> you just read this passage, and now I'm going to ask you the critical. Where is he from? He's from Troas. Okay? Because based upon this text, then we have they all coming into Troas, and then all of a sudden, what? We are going with them, okay? And so we know from Colossians 1, then, Luke is a what? A physician. So, so all this is presumed, Luke, based upon the early church writers who gave credence to Luke being the one who wrote the gospel, right? So you bring that over into the, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and so there's the assumption, then, that... Pa this Luke, this physician Luke, joins Paul in the city of Troas. There are some who then even go further in the extension in saying that he was a Macedonian who lived in Troas and that he was the, the guy that Paul saw in his vision. I have a hard time going that far with it, okay? But that's kind of, but people will go to that extreme with that, okay? But here we have this guy named Paul, and so Paul is traveling then on the, the later journeys with Paul. Luke is traveling on the later journeys with Paul. And so he be, then becomes um, interested, clearly, in Troas, in all this information that's being given to him by Jesus, what Jesus came to do. And so he's making an orderly account. He's making a defined account of what's always going on. Okay? So, so you've got this man who is accustomed to 
order in detail, who's making an orderly what? Detailed account, okay? Which is kind of nice to know going into this book as well, that Luke is going to give us some details, okay? Holy Spirit, writing through them, I get that, okay? But using Luke specifically, he could chose anybody, but he chose to use what? Luke, he chose to use his physician to write an orderly account for us of what happened in the early church, okay? So Luke now begins talking about the foundation of the church, the beginning of the unveiling of the mystery of God. Since he walked with Paul, since he talked with Paul, since he ministered with Paul, I got to believe that he understood the revelations that God was giving to Paul. He heard them all the time. And so he's given us this, this order of the thing. And I find it interesting then that for Luke, the unveiling of the mystery, the mystery of the church begins where? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation point of the church. Now, I understand we can talk about the Pentecost, we can talk about this, we can talk about a lot of different things, but according to Luke's writings, he goes back to the resurrection. The resurrection is critical to the foundation of the church. So he writes, the former account, I made of Theophilus of all that Jesus began to what? Do and to what? Teach, right? Until the day... Um, he was taken up after th- he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, being seen for 40 days. Okay, so we want to talk about that. First point is that Jesus' um, resurrection was a validation of his instructions. Okay, that, that, it's okay, close the windows. Yeah, we got a battle going on between fresh air and, and air conditioning. Okay. The air, air conditioning one. Okay, so um, so what did he do? So the validation, when Jesus was resurrected, okay, we need to understand this, okay, and for the most part we do, but the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the validation point of everything that he did and spoke. Think about the things that he did. What are some of the things that Jesus did? Miracles. That's generic. Give me, give me specific. He fed 5,000. He gave sight to the blind. And not just did he give sight to a blind, but a guy who was what? Born blind. These are pretty impressive stuff. He healed, healed, he healed lepers, raised the dead. Now, here's, so here's the deal. So we can keep going, right, with all these things that Jesus did. His resurrection validated all those. Jesus said that in the end times, there were going to be false prophets who came, false Christs who came, who were going to be able to do wonderful things that if it was impossible, they would deceive even the very, if it were possible, he would deceive even the very elect. It's not going to be possible to deceive the very elect. Do you understand? But But these false prophets and false Christs are going to be able to do amazing things. Jesus' resurrection, his own resurrection from the dead, validated everything he did and everything he taught. Muhammad 
is still in the grave. Are we tracking with that? And then as we get to it, at the end of this, we're going to see Jesus' what? Ascension and promised return. That ties back in with this. Because he didn't just raise and then what? Die again. Did you ever think about Lazarus? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. To do what? To die again. <laughs> Jesus raised the widow of nine son. To do what? Die again. To live. Understand. But in the end, they were going to die again. Jesus didn't die again. How cool is that? So it was a validation. And you can look at um, all this. But Jesus told um, the people when they were looking for a sign. He said, you're not going to get a sign. The only sign. Now think about it. He's given them lots of sign. He turned water into wine. I can't do that. Can you do that? Anyways, he said the only sign. Isn't this amazing? The only what? The only sign of validation, ultimate validation, verification of who he is, is going to be the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. That's your sign. He said it twice. He said it twice to him. It was also then, his resurrection was validated by many witnesses. And so we read that here, that, um, and that he was then seen by many people. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8, we're not going to go through it, but what's important about it, well, I'll probably quote it, but anyways, um, but what's important about it is we know 3 and 4, right? It's the gospel, right? So I've delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that what? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he what? Rose again according to the scriptures, and we stop there. But Paul doesn't stop there. What's the next statement that's made in verse 5? And he was seen. And he was seen. There's an and there. It's just So it, it's part of the gospel message. And we just kind of cut it off. But Christ died. He was buried. He raised again the third day. And he was seen. And then he goes through the laundry list of people who've seen him. And as we went through that another time, we added even further in others that saw him that aren't even listed in 1 Corinthians 15. There were many witnesses. There was even 500 at one time that saw him. So if you had all these people come to a court case, and the judge says, what proof do you have? And all of a sudden you got 500 to 750 people standing up, saying, I was an eyewitness. I saw it. This is how it happened. This is how it happened. Judge can throw it out of court and say, ah, not enough, not enough testimony. No, it's not going to happen that way. Steve robbed the bank. 750 people saw Steve rob the bank. He's not walking. <laughs> you know? I mean, well, you can, maybe one or two people might have got it confused. There might have been 20 people who had mass hallucinations, right? But in multiple occasions, multiple people all had an interaction with the risen Lord. So, his resurrection was validated as well by many witnesses, is what Luke says. So, for Luke, this is the starting point. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And he was seen by people for how many days? Forty days. Not just a one-day affair. Wasn't just in, the, in, the, in the, the upper room that one evening. But for forty days, he wandered in the wilderness of this world being seen by people 
I'm not going to make a big deal about numbers, but I think there is something that God does with numbers, and I don't understand um, all of it, but I think it's kind of fun. And I think there's a reason why he was walking the earth for 40 days and why he came on the 50th day, which is the Jubilee for the, um, uh, or he didn't come, but the Holy Spirit was sent on the 50th day, which is the Jubilee for the Jews, okay? And so as you read through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, you need to understand that there are things that God does with numbers. And I don't understand why it is, but 12 tribes, 12 disciples, there was the 12 baskets, which were representing the 12 tribes. Then there was the... Um, the seven baskets, which were representing the, the seven nations, okay? So there are just things that are going on here. So I'm not going to make a big deal of it, other than to say he was walking on the earth for 40 days. 40 days interacting with people. And so there are lots of witnesses that saw him, okay? So first of all, we got the foundation of the church, which is the resurrection of Christ. But then we slide into the, the greater portion that we're going to see here, okay? which, again, I think is important, but it's not going to be the culmination that we're going to see in the end, okay? And that is that he's still talking about this transition where, where it's all happening, right? So Christ was raised from the dead, and he began to talk to the people, but he's getting ready to leave now. So we've had all this going on for 40 days. Now we're at the 40th day, okay? And we have this commission that Christ is going to have, and we, we talk about a lot, okay? Uh, Acts 1, verse 8 but there's a, there's a context to it. What's the context? First of all, Jesus gives them a command. Okay, the command is to what? To wait. To wait. He says to them, he says, in being assembled together with them, he commanded them, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Okay, now that's a big deal. Because he had told them something earlier. He told them to hang on. And what did they do? Say again? They, well, not sleep. They went fishing. They decide they're going to go fishing. Okay? Jesus said very clearly here, I want you to what? Stay in Jerusalem. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Okay? But to, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We're not going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now. We're going to talk about that when we get to chapter 2. Okay? We're going to spend four weeks going through chapter 2. We're going to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're, we'll, we'll talk about tongues. We're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. But chapter 2. So hang on. It's about a month away. We'll get there. Okay? Okay? Can't wait. Yeah, me either. So, anyways, <laughs> probably for different reasons. Anyways, so, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay? He's, not, he's telling them, it's not going to happen the minute I, I walk away. It's going to happen what? Not many days from now, which means what? I'm not telling you when. But it's not a long time from now. But it's days from now. But it's what? Not many days from now. But here's your command. You got to what? Wait. Do you know what one of the hardest things for us to do is? Wait. But he didn't just tell them to wait. He told them to wait for the power of God. Wait for the power of God. That's that 40 thing again. Israel had to learn to wait for the power of God. 40 years of waiting. Why? Why did, they, why did they have to wait 40 years? Because they disobeyed. Because they what? Did they did not obey. They did, what, didn't, what didn't they believe in? 
the power of God. God sent 12 witnesses into the land. Do you remember? Right? Go spy at the land. Come back. Because he wants them to get ready to what? Apportion the land. So they come back. Ten were bad and two were good. Anyways, and so what did the ten bad spies do? We can't do it. They tell them away. Oh, they're like, we're like grasshoppers. They're going to destroy us. But Caleb and Jonah, Jonah, whew, wrong story. Caleb and Joshua, <laughs> mix mash. Anyways, exactly. Caleb and Joshua, they come back and they say, no, but our what? Our God is? He's greater. He's able. So they point to the power of God, but the people say, no, 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 no. They're going to destroy us. Our, our kids are going to be destroyed. They're going to eat us up. And because of that, they have to spend 40 years in the wilderness. But they didn't want to wait 40 years in the wilderness. So what did they do? They tried to go in. After God said, what? Forget it. You can't go in now. Before I was with you, you would have been victorious. You said, no, we're not going to go. We don't believe. We don't trust you. So now I say, okay, fine. You're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And you say, what? No, no, we don't want to spend 40 years in the wilderness. We're going to go. And I tell you what? Don't go because I'm not going to be with you. Because now it's going to happen exactly like you said. No, no, we don't believe you. We can do this on our own. And they go and find out what? It's exactly what God said. We're looking at the potential of building a new building. Do we need it? Do we not need it? As David said, and I, I like a lot, he says, potentially we're going to be building the building for, for people who we don't even know yet. Make sense? I mean, we may still be here. But the idea is that there's going to be people coming who we don't even know yet. But put all that aside for a moment. It is the heart of the elders to not do it if God doesn't want it. And to not do it in a manner that God hasn't ordained. And not to trust in our own wisdom, in our own prowess. In looking at design, looking at location, looking at whatever. It's hard waiting. I remember before we got this property, some of you were there. We looked at 10 different pieces of property. I know it's hard to think about 10, but I have them listed out. We looked at 10 different locations. I think this was the 10th. There were a couple of them. I thought they were right. They were They were. They were great locations. They were great opportunities, great possibilities. I was all in on these things. But God, through the church, said no. I was pretty frustrated. Because <laughs> I was ready. I was tired of what? Waiting. Do you, do you get it? If there's one thing I've learned that God has taught me over the years the importance of waiting. Waiting for God to do it. Because when he does it, he does it with his power. And he does it right. When I try to force it, it always comes back at wrong. And it leads to the wrong conclusion. Wait. So God commanded him to wait. Now, who's he commanding? Who's he commanding? Well, not us. He's not commanding us. We, by application, get it. But say, David, who was he? Disciples. How many? Eleven. Good. Okay. Now, there's others that are there, but primarily he's speaking to the 
11. What do we know about this 11? When Jesus was on the earth, not you know, prior to the resurrection, I mean, I understand he's on the earth right now, but it's after the resurrection. So while he was ministering on the earth, what, what, what is one of the things that you would say were, we could understand about these apostles? They wanted him to establish the kingdom. We're going to come to that in just one moment. Okay? But they didn't always get everything that he was saying. Are you tracking with me on that one? Sometimes you think, where were they at when, when the conversation was happening? They clearly were someplace else. They're waiting for the kingdom to be established, right? They're looking beyond, okay? And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Well, the same thing's going to hold true here because we're going to get a question from the disciples. And what's their question? What's their question? Based upon, he's telling them to wait, right? Because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. So they turn around and say, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still focused on kingdom right here. They're focusing on the here and now. Remember, we just talked about that last week with the spiritual war. It's not about flesh and blood, but it's been, it's in the heavenly realms, right? So, but now, honestly, they get this honestly, because someone talked a, a lot about the kingdom. Who talked a lot about the kingdom? Jesus did. Jesus, in his prayer, he said they wanted to know how to, to pray, and so he taught them how to pray. And he said, this is how you're going to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's teaching them to, to pray about and think about the what? The, the kingdom. That's exactly right. Matthew 16, verse 28. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom be one of those 11 and this is what you heard what did you just hear the son of man is going to what come in his kingdom when thousands of years from now right before we die how do you know that steve some standing here who will not taste death Till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's another one of those things from Sunday school this morning. You sit there and go, how do you, how do you describe this one? Because there are theologians then who do the, that Jesus came in the clouds of, the, of the, the hoofbeats of the Roman army. That at the destruction of Jerusalem, when the, while the disciples were still living, that in, and so the Roman army came in all the clouds that Jesus was coming in those clouds, and they allegorized the return of Christ. We're going to talk about how that can't be. But anyways, but you get what I'm saying. So they get it from a, a valid reason. Jesus said this, right? And so the disciples, they're, they're, they're right to be thinking this. In fact, the, the mother of James and John, right? She comes and says to Jesus, Jesus said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Focused on the kingdom. So they want to know, is this it? Let's be honest. If you were one of those 11, where would your mind be? We're already looking forward to it. We talk about the return of Christ. They weren't worried about the return of Christ. They had the return of Christ. He was there in their midst. He was resurrected. There he was. Are you going to, is this the time? Is this happening right now? I mean, are we supposed to be waiting because really there's a coronation moment happening? Holy Spirit's going to come. This is a big thing. We've got this inauguration going on. This is exciting, Jesus. Can I be the treasurer? You know, and 
you know, can I, you know, James and John sitting there going, "Ooh, is it really going to happen this way? We got left and right." You know, it's not mine to give, right? Jesus now gives them the response, and it's within his response that we actually get what we refer to as this this commission. Jesus' response is, "It's not for you to know the times or seasons." which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. So negatively, the first thing he tells them is from a negative point of view, and that is, it's not for you to know what? The times and the seasons. Jesus said, while they were on the earth, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour knows no, no one, even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he continued with this thought in verse 42 and 44, as he's talking about, does anybody know the context? Chapter 24, what's Jesus talking about in Matthew 24? The end times. Very good. Matthew 24, 25, he's talking about the end times. And in Matthew 24, he's literally talking about the things that are going uh, to be happening. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of war and all these kind of stuff. And so clearly the disciples weren't focusing on that part, were they? Because Jesus is only gone, what? A moment, he comes back after three days, and he's on the earth for 40 days, right? There's no wars and rumors of wars going on. There's no pestilence and earthquakes and all that other kind of stuff. They forget that part. Make sense? Because they're excited about what's coming at them. Do we do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we so easily forget the parts we don't want to know about and focus on the parts we do want to know about. Okay? And so... So he says to him, he says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We'll talk about that again in just a moment. But for here, it's not for you to know what? The times or seasons. Does anybody know what was just uh, a week ago? Say, say again? No, Tabernacles is actually in a week and a half. Rosh Hashanah. Biblically, there's no Rosh Hashanah, it, um, but it's Yom Torah. So Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year, but it's the head of the political year for them. The head of the, uh, the um, religious year um, is in April, March-April time frame. Okay, that's where uh, Passover comes into play. Okay, So the spring feasts are, they, they, they are the beginning of the religious calendar. Okay? Yom Torah, you say, well, you said it was Yom Torah. What's Yom Torah? Yom Torah is the Feast of Trumpets. Good job. Feast of Trumpets. And so there are many people who, in, because Jesus was the Passover, okay, and that he raised the Feast of First Fruits, because he was the first fruits from the dead, and that it began then the Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay, and so showing the purity that's there. And then the Holy Spirit came, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, how the Holy Spirit comes on the Feast of Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks, which we refer to as Pentecost, okay, that there is a, a fulfillment of events in the life of the church in future prophecy that is happening according to the feasts, okay? And so there are many then who believe, and I'm not telling you I'm necessarily one of them, okay, um, who believe that the resurrection of the saints, the rapture of the church, is going to occur when? On Yom Terah, the Feast of Trumpets. Okay, because the trumpet will sound and we will be taken up and da-da-da-da-da. Now, it gets more exciting this year. Okay? I don't know if you knew all this stuff. I mean, we missed the rapture. But anyways, so the potential rapture, because it gets more exciting, because just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, 
What entered into the land? Some of you know this. Say again. Everybody got it. Red heifers. How many? Five. Five. See, they've had red heifers in the land before, but they, you know, they find the one white hair in it, and so it disqualifies it, and no longer can it be the red heifer. Some of you are saying, so what a red heifer? The red heifer is what is needed by the law in order for them to sacrifice outside the camp, take the ashes of it, and mix it with water and have the purification waters by which they can then purify the tabernacle, or in this case, the temple, purify the, uh, the utensils for the, the tabernacle or the, the temple, purify the, 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 the ones who are serving, the priests of that. And yes, they've had Kohens, priests set aside for a generation already. Okay? So there is a lot of anticipation in Israel for this moment. So there was a lot of anticipation among believers that the rapture was going to be last week. What do I overwhelmingly know? K-N-O-W, and I'm not talking about a radio station, west of the Mississippi. What do I K-N-O-W about the return of Christ? I won't know the day or the hour. Stop setting them. I'm a math guy. I've done a whole lot of math stuff with the Bible. I've done a chronology. I have my ideas. I have my thought processes of when I think it's going to come. I've stated, I've been on record since the 1990s, of stating that if, if I live to a, 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 a good old age, that I believe Jesus is coming in my lifetime. I believe that, 100%. I believe that, based upon math in the Bible. Okay? Could I be wrong? 100% I could be wrong. Am I going to tell you when? No, I'm not going to preach that. Come talk to me later. No, anyways. But I'm not going to preach that. I, it's, 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 it's fun for me. But I'm still putting money in the stock market. Well, actually, I have it set out because of everything the stock market has done. But I'm, I'm still trying to look toward a retirement. I'm still worrying about my kids. I'm still the grandkids and all that kind of stuff. It makes sense. You live like Jesus is coming when? Today. But you plan like he's not coming in your lifetime. Okay? You don't know the day or the hour. But Jesus said, you better what? You better live like it's happening right now. You better live like it's happening right now because guess what? It could be. Regardless of whether he comes back and harpazos you. I like harpazo better than rapture. Raptoro is a Latin word. The Greek word is harpazo. He snatches you away the reality is he could snatch me at this very moment while i'm talking to you and i have a massive heart attack i have an aneurysm and it pops and i die in this place i know that'd be awful for you guys it would be glorious for me anyways <laughs> isn't that think about that okay everybody else ah! and i'm i'm with jesus at the moment you know so but i could be caught up whenever he chooses to. Okay. So negatively. Positively, we're given two promises. What's the first promise? You shall be empowered. You shall receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse into what Bob thinks, okay, on, on some of this stuff. And we'll talk about more when we get to chapter 2 of the book of Acts. John chapter 20, in the upper room, and the night in which Jesus was resurrected, uh, uh, when, when he was raised from the dead, right? 
He was with the disciples, and he said to them, he said, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he what? He breathed on them. And said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I don't think he's talking days ahead, because he said that very clearly. You will receive power not many days from now. Okay? I think they got the Holy Spirit right there. Okay? I think... I think when he breathed on them, that was Yahweh, the creator God, breathing into them life, just like he breathed into Adam life. He breathed Ruach into them. The Jewish mindset is that you have Neshama, which is your inner breath, and you have Ruach, which comes from the outside. If you have your Neshama knocked out of you, you die. Because you can't live without air. You can't live without breath. So when you, every time you exhale, you potentially what? You die. Unless there is some air from the outside for you to take in. Are you tracking? That's the ruach. Ruach is translated as air, breath, spirit. Same thing in Greek with pneumos. Pneumos is air, breath, spirit. Okay? We have pneumatic guns. You know, that's not the Holy Spirit kind of guns, right? But we ought to have pneumatic guns. Anyways, so from that perspective, high gas pneumas kind of guns. And so, but it's that concept then. So for the Jewish mind, okay, God had to breathe into Adam because Adam was breathless. He was dead. He had no breath. So the creator God didn't really do CPR because what's CPR? Cardio what? Car- cardio pulmonary resuscitation. He actually did CPS. Suscitated him. <laughs> How do you like that, right? So he breathed into him. I think this is what's happening in the upper room. Jesus is breathing into the disciples. And he gives them the ruach of life. He gives them the Holy Spirit. So what did he promise? What was going to happen not many days from now? They were going to be what? Empowered. They were going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You should remember this from Ephesians chapter 1. After you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay? They got the Holy Spirit. Jesus is promising the power. We'll talk about baptism. We'll talk about empowerment in a couple weeks. Secondly, the promise is, you shall be what? You shall be witnesses. Now, specifically, again, he's talking to the 11. He's talking to the apostles. Why? Because they were specifically, again, told by Jesus that they would be witnesses of his resurrection. That was going to be their purpose. Again, they were going to be the ones standing there saying what? I saw him. I walked with him. I saw him die. I saw the Roman soldier stick the sword through his side. I know he was in the tomb. He was buried. They put a Roman guard around him. But on the third day, God sent the angel and rolled that stone away. And for 40 days, he walked with me on the earth. This I know, and this I will die for. Think about it. 
These 11 guys who went running and hiding on the, on, 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 on the night before Jesus was crucified would now, be, would, would now be martyred for this very truth. That Christ died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. And they would stake their life on it. You will be witnesses to me. Now, applicationally, though, it does apply to us. We know that. Again, our, our kids' key verse, right? says that sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you. What's our hope? From First Peter and Second Peter, what's our hope? The resurrection. That I'm going to live in heaven with God. That there is a resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15, it's on your sermon. No cheat, I'm not going there. Okay? But the reality is that 1 Corinthians says, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then you're what? Your faith is in vain. Again, it's the foundation of everything you believe. That's why it's the foundation of the church. It's the foundation of everything you believe. Do you really believe it? Do you really, really, really believe it? Would you die for it? Would you die for it? Again, I've talked about a guy named Balthasar Hubmeyer multiple times in the past. Balthasar Hubmeyer was during the same day times as John Huss and such in, in the um, Reformation periods. And, and Balthasar Hubmeyer was proclaiming uh, Christ. In the, the, he was... Um, arrested by the Roman church and uh, forced to recant or to be pulled apart on the, on the racks. So when the polling began, <coughs> the recanting began. And Balthasar, Balthasar Hubmeyer <coughs> excuse me, recanted. And he was let free. Do you know what he did? He went out again and began preaching Christ so he's arrested again, brought again to the stretching racks. As the, the, the I've got, you look for, I, I get him. Um, bottom pocket. Thank you. Um, so he's arrested again. He's brought back to the stretching racks. They begin to pull on his, his tendons again. What does he do? He recants again. They let him go. What's he do again? He goes out preaching. He's arrested again, and he's brought back into the stretching rack. As the tendons begin to, to pull again, and they give him the opportunity to recant one more time, he says what? No, I can't do this. My Lord never denied me. How can I deny my Lord? And you can imagine what happened after that. He died. Michael Sattler was being persecuted by the Lutheran church. For what he believed. He was being paraded through the city to go be burned at the stake. And while he was marching, th being paraded through the city, he was proclaiming Christ crucified. So much so that they hated it and they went up and they cut out his tongue while they were parading him through the city. So with his tongue cut off, he began, continued to proclaim Christ. And then they finally got him to the place where they can burn him and close, stop, stop his mouth. I can continue on. Just take a time to read Fox's, 
Fox Book of Martyr for a while, and, and you will hear of numerous people who were willing to die for Christ. Are you willing to die? Thank you. For the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you really honestly believe that it's true? Or are you following in just a good social, cultural pattern that our country has been rooted in and you grew up in? Sadly, there are many who actually do that. I did that. I grew up in the church. I went to church every Sunday. Would I have died for the name of Christ? I can't answer that question. Never got been made to do that. But probably not. Because self-existence was a little bit more important to me. Self-preservation than, than any of those truths. Stephen and Philip, why do I have them up there? They weren't part of the 11. They weren't part of the 11. Many people want to say, well, that only goes to the 11. That only applies to the 11. Your application to us really doesn't hold true. Stephen was not one of the 11, but he was a man who was full of the what? Holy Spirit. And he preached, and he preached mightily. We only know of him preaching once. Now we know that he, he was interacting. That's why he was at this moment preaching because he was confounding people and they were really mad at him and were frustrated with him. But in the one that we know of from Acts chapter 7, the end result was what? Stoning. He died. Philip was just a deacon. And so, but God moved him through the Holy Spirit. He sent him to, to um, Samaria to open up the gospel to the Samaritans. He wasn't one of the eleven. And God took him from there and sent him all the way out into the desert land to meet who? The Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know the result of that. Is that where the Ethiopian church began? As a result of one guy? Not one of the eleven. Bearing witness to what? The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 53. Isaiah 53. Exactly right. So, the response of the Lord leads then to the ascension of Christ. In the end, at this point we read, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked up steadfastly toward heaven as they went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I think things are stated sometimes over and over and over again within the same context because they don't want us to miss it or to excuse it. What do you see over and over and over and over and over again in this passage? They were doing what? Looking where? Up. Why? Because Jesus was taken up. The word up. Up, 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 up. Not down, 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 down. Not in, 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 in. Do you get where I'm going? Okay. When Jesus comes back, we'll talk about this in a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself. He's not going to be on the earth. So what's the first thing we know? His departure. His departure was up, 
up, up. How, specifically? In a cloud. The cloud what? Received him out of their sight. Accepted him. Took him. Received him out of their sight. He went up. Accompanied by angels. Declaring, right? And so we have then his return. Which we're told, specifically, right? First of all, it's going to be the same Jesus. Words are important. Why you stand gazing, looking up? This same Jesus. It's not going to be what? It's not going to be another Jesus. It's not going to be another Jesus. That same historical Jesus. But explain to me, who is the historical Jesus? Who is it? Son of God. Who is he? I understand Son of God. I I accept that. Who is he? When we went through the book of John, who does he claim to be? God. Yahweh himself. Yahweh declares in Zechariah, and also we know from Isaiah 48, that Yahweh is going to come on the earth. When this same Jesus comes back, who is it? Yahweh. Do you track with me? This isn't going to be this, 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 uh, another earthly being who has the spirit of Jesus in him. We see a lot of those. False prophets are going to come. False Christs are going to come. This is going to be the same, the same Jesus who's going to come. And he will come in like manner. Got that all the way from the book of Daniel. When we went through the book of Daniel. We have the son of man coming in clouds with the angels. Jesus talks about it when he was on the earth that he was going to come in the clouds. You'll see the Son of Man coming with the clouds, with the angels. He's going to come in the clouds. First Thessalonians, Paul then reiterates this as well, that Jesus is going to come in the clouds. I don't know how theologies can be out there that teach anything else. It's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear. It's pretty literal. If you take the Bible literally, that means when you look up and you see a cloud, there's a potential what? <laughs> Jesus. No, he, that he's coming in that cloud. I don't know, because I don't know the what? The day of the hour. But I know he's coming in a cloud. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, those clear days? <sighs> yeah, looking for a cloudy day, baby. That's exactly right. But you know what? It doesn't necessarily mean that it had to be a cloud that was already there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Wouldn't that be kind of cool, huh? All of a sudden, anyway, no other passage. Every eye is going to what? See him. I don't know how that's going to play out throughout the world. Is it going to be on the internet? You know, I don't know how that plays out. You kind of, you kind of think, ooh, you know. But today, you kind of start to understand some of that stuff. How it could be. But what do you believe then? What do you believe? That's the whole foundation of the church. It's going to be their faith. It's going to be what they believed about Jesus. That's what they're going to die for. That's what the church is going to grow on. Everything is about who? Jesus. Just like we saw in Ephesians chapter 1. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. all about Christ. How knowledgeable then are you regarding the actions and teachings of Christ? If these are disciples of Christ, who are supposed to be witnesses of Christ, then they are supposed to be able to witness what they know about Christ. How much do you know? Are you convinced? Regarding his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. 
How committed are you to the commission that Christ gave to his followers? And finally, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you alone are God and your word is true. Lord, thank you for the, the accuracy in which you have given us the details of what went on in the early church. Thank you for using Luke, Lord, and preparing him as a Gentile, probably, um, to, to, to write this book for us. That's an incredible thought just as by itself. And so, Lord, we give you the glory for it all, and we ask that you would help us to walk by faith, Lord, to be able to be strengthened, to be having courage to walk in these evil days. Lord, I pray for the persecuted church around the world, Lord, that literally are, are, are losing their life or going to jail for the name of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would uh, strengthen them and empower them. But Lord, for us, um, I don't know what the days hold for our, our country, but it doesn't look good. It looks like it's going the wrong way. And so, Lord, regardless that we would have power, we would have boldness to proclaim your name and see your kingdom expanded for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.